Good morning. I don't think it will hurt to take about 10 seconds to embarrass David Chang. Even take that long, maybe. Today's his birthday, so why don't you make sure that you uh, take the opportunity to go up and tell him how much uh, you're thankful that uh, he's in this world and that he's in this congregation. We are so grateful for all that he contributes to this work here uh, I appreciated Roger mentioning him in, in prayer. He's such a vital part of our ministry team, uh, and I'm so thankful that uh, we get to benefit from his work in so many different ways. I don't know if you know the name Donald J. Sterling, but Donald is not a man that we would call a moral authority in any stretch of the imagination. We would say that by worldly terms, he is a very successful man. He has made literally billions in the Los Angeles real estate market and he was a pioneer in the divorce and in the personal injury attorney uh, work. But he is a man more than any I know in this generation who has not been elected to a public office whose mouth has been the focus of more attention because of things that he has said in a lot of different contexts. We might point to the fact that this 87-year-old Chicago native was recorded for the racist comments that he made to his mistress in 2013 that caught the attention so much because that he was also the owner of the L.A. Clippers until that reached the public airways. He was also recorded, or at least it was testified against him, that he made racist comments to his employees about black, Asian, and Hispanic tenants that he had, and it cost him millions of dollars, and it even got the U.S. Department of Justice involved in the case. There are the public allegations of sexual harassment from the mouth of Donald J. Sterling. I would say that he joins a great many others whose mouths have cost them a whole lot more than they anticipated. And I suppose there aren't many who have had such a cost measured in dollars more than sterling, but how many relationships have been ruined? How many souls have been lost because of our inability to tame the tongue? You know, you might call it a lineman of the stars, or you might call it a double whammy. I believe today that in Bible class, uh, in the adult class and in the teen class, you're going to be looking at James chapter 3 and the tongue. And we're going to be talking about the tongue today, as you can see from Max reading of the word a moment ago in Proverbs chapter 15. But in James chapter 3, James says in verse 6 that the tongue is a fire, it's a world of iniquity. He goes even further and he says that the tongue is set on fire by hell. He also says that the tongue is full of deadly poison. And he says to us that the tongue reveals hypocrisy at a disgusting level sometimes, verse 9 through verse 12. But he makes a statement in verse 7 that I find very interesting. He says that every beast and bird of reptiles and of sea creatures can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. When I consider that, I I want you to think for a moment, not about Leviathan or Behemoth or any other dinosaur since they lived before our lifetime. I don't know that it would have an impact on us. But I want you to think about for a moment the white rhinoceros. What if it was your task to try and detain the white rhinoceros? A few facts for you as you decide whether you want to take on that job. Second largest land mammal on earth in the world today. He weighs 4,000 pounds. 
Not only that, but his horn tends to be on average, or hers I should say, five feet long or two feet wide. Six feet tall and can run 30 to 40 miles an hour. Now that is slower than a Corvette, but a lot heavier than a Corvette. And they have poor eyesight and they're easily scared. And when they're scared, they have been known to attack automobiles and even trains and to live to tell the tale of it. But they have been tamed. You'll find them in animal parks. You'll see them in zoos. But James says in James chapter 3 and verse 8, The human tongue no man can tame. We face a collective and an individual challenge this morning. And that is to control That little thing in our body, the tongue. And when you look at the Old Testament, there is a word that is found 117 times. And it is translated in a lot of different ways. Sometimes the word is translated language. At other times, it is uh, translated bar, like a bar of gold. And you can see how it would be translated that way. Or sometimes it is translated to growl. Or it is translated as a bay. That is a tongue of land in the water. But most of the time, it is translated in a way that we would call a metonymy. And all a metonymy is, is when you speak of the part for the whole. Many of you this morning had a cup of coffee. You didn't literally have the cup, you had the contents in the cup. And so when Solomon, on 17, uh, make that 19 occasions, in the book of Proverbs, speaks of the tongue, he's not just speaking about the tongue, but he's talking about the words and the mouth. And when you investigate the book of Proverbs, it seems to me that the place where he deals with the tussle of the tongue and the battle of the Babel the most is in Proverbs chapter 15. Now this is something, if nothing else has caught your attention and has got your excitement today, that this morning's sermon has only two points. To tame the tongue, what do we got to do according to Proverbs chapter 15? The first thing that we have got to do is to tame our thoughts. Now, if we center our attention just on Proverbs chapter 15, the word heart is found nine times in that chapter. And that word heart is a broad word. It is the broadest word in the Old Testament to speak of the inner and the immaterial part of a person. It speaks of your thoughts, your intentions, your concerns, your inclinations. And so as we look at the heart, certainly what we have in mind is that totality of our inner being. But it is also, when we speak of the thoughts, that same or similar or synonymous idea. And Solomon has a whole lot more to say about the thoughts in the chapter. But there are four places, the places that Mac read to us a moment ago, where the thoughts and the words intersect. And every time in the chapter when the thoughts and the words are intersecting, it's speaking of a contrast. In fact, if you want to think about the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is about wisdom and understanding. It is about contrasting man's ways and God's ways. And so all that we see here with regard to the tongue is a contrast with the way that God wants us to do it and the way that man so often does it. And so for all else that you will benefit from by reading in Proverbs chapter 15 as we look at the thoughts and the heart, I want to look at those four passages that talk about the heart and the thoughts and how it relates to our tongues. 
The first thing we see is to tame your... So we're thinking about taming our tongues. And if we're going to tame our tongues, we've got to tame our thoughts. So I want to know, how do I tame my thoughts? First of all, Solomon would tell me I need to fill my heart with heavenly knowledge. You see the contrast there in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 7? Between what's in the heart of one who is wise and what's on the lips of one who is a fool... When we see what Solomon is telling us here, we come to ask the question, how do we know the difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom? Well, I appreciate the Apostle Paul, though he's speaking something very specific in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians and writing to the church at Corinth. He talks to them about the preaching of the cross being foolishness to them that perish, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. According as it is written, where is the wisdom of the wise? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God chosen the uh, wisdom of God, the foolishness of God, to save those that believe? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews seek a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to us who are saved, Jew and Greek... Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Right there at the heart of it all. You remember in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came unto you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, if you'll read all of 1 Corinthians, there's a whole lot of other things that he mentions The Apostle Paul is saying that the heart and the center of it all, if you want to see God's wisdom on its eternal display, look at the cross of Calvary. And it demonstrates one who was in perfect control of himself, who gave all of himself for all of us. And you'll get some insight into what heavenly wisdom looks like. What about earthly wisdom? It's a completely different deal. If you go to Mark chapter 7, Jesus is teaching the people there. And in Mark chapter 7, in verse 20 through 23, he on two different occasions, in verse 20 and 23, he says, that which comes out of the man, that's what defiles the man. It's the things that come from within that you can see on the outside. And a lot of those are actions. If you look at Mark 7, 20 through 23, they're, they're things that we do in our bodies. But you'll notice that there's deceit and slander in Mark's account. And then there's false witnesses. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19 in Matthew's account. When I see what Solomon is encouraging me to do in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 7, he is saying, I want you to evaluate what comes out of your mouth, and you do so at the only place that you can know where God's wisdom is, and that's in the Scripture. And I want you to ask yourself, is what I am saying the folly of fools, or is it the wisdom of God? What a lofty challenge for us, and one that constantly... We've got to evaluate. But then second, if you want to tame your thoughts so as to tame your tongue, you have got to fill your heart with understanding. We see that idea conveyed to us in verse 14. And as we think about that understanding, I find it interesting that Solomon is saying that that the fool feeds on folly. Whereas the one that is wise is going to fill their hearts with understanding. 
Now, when I think of that, the place my mind went to at first was what Peter had to say. He pointed to the animal kingdom, and he says, you want to see how a bad a spiritual state can be? Then look at a dog, and look at what a dog will return to and eat. And maybe if you know something about the animal kingdom, there are other animals who will do something so disgusting as to eat what comes out of their bodies. But these are animals. They don't have a higher consciousness. They're not made in the image of God. But God says that He wants us to be advised of how important it is for us to pursue understanding, God's understanding, and not to feed on folly. Go to Mayo's website sometimes, the Mayo Health Clinic, and look at the harbingers of halitosis. It's interesting, some of the things that cause that. You know, we're always conscious about that. Uh, Occasionally, Kathy's given me a piece of gum so as to, I don't know, I suppose, protect others from me. There are things that can happen with our breath that can cause our breath to be bad. It may be things like poor oral hygiene, or it could be the use of tobacco or dry mouth. And here's a little fact for you, that dry mouth happens when you don't have access to water, and the time that that happens, the longest period of time is at night, and that's why you have morning breath. Or it could be an oral infection. A lot of different reasons why. But all of us are concerned that we don't have bad breath. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, the Apostle Paul says, Let no unwholesome thing or word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those that hear it. Now, it's, that word unwholesome literally means rotten and decayed. And the Greeks used that word. It was a word that they used to speak of what was a foul smell or an ugly sight. But it also came to refer to the uh, sound of a flute that was played off key. And so what Paul is saying is, watch your speech. Watch smelly speech. And how do I know? Does it give grace to those that hear? Does it help to build up others? Is it just the right word at the right time? Or is it spiritual halitosis? Solomon would indicate to us that if we're going to tame our tongues, it begins in the heart, it begins in the thoughts, in the mind. And we've got to fill our hearts with understanding. And you know, he continues to reinforce that message. As you look through Proverbs, you find such a repetition of the same concepts in different chapters where he's returning to these same things because... Let's face it, we need these reminders. The guy who's standing before you and preaching today needs this sermon as much as anybody else in this auditorium because it's an ongoing challenge that we face. You want to tame your tongue, and we need to. You've got to tame your thoughts. And to do that, you've got to fill your heart with pure thoughts. In verse 26, we have this idea of those abominable or detestable deeds. And they include... That impurity of heart that leads to a speech that God rejects. And this concept of abominable behavior is found throughout Proverbs. And I found it very interesting that often those abominable behaviors involve the words of our mouths. Things like lying, Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 7. It includes things like unethical business practices. And the way that those get carried so often, Proverbs 11 and verse 1, is through the things that we say. Arrogance, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 6. Abuse of power, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 12. 
hatred. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 5. And ignorance of God's word. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 9. And so as I walk with Solomon through God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs, I realize that I have got to be what God calls me to be. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want my heart as pure as I can make it. Because ultimately what's in my heart is going to come out in my speech. To tame your thoughts, you've also got to fill your heart with introspection. You know, the mouth is the messenger of what is in the heart. Another way to put that is, think before you speak. The concept of Solomon is echoed in all of Scripture. And that is, we ought to taste our words before we spit them out. It's so important for us to go to the very heart of it all, to the root of who we are. And to try to control our thoughts. Because those thoughts escape into our speech. The second point I want us to notice from Proverbs chapter 15 is that if we are going to tame the tongue, we have got to tame our temper. In Proverbs chapter 15, in two different verses, Solomon uses a word. It is a word that has a wide range of translation. It is translated as heat in the Old Testament, or venom, or poison, or it's rage, or wrath. In in the ESV, in verse 1, the word is translated wrath. And in verse 18, it's translated hot-tempered. But the idea is that I've got this potential poison. There's this heat. There's this rage that I've got to control because it's going to come out in my speech. And the first verse where we see that is in verse 1 where we understand that a harsh word stirs up strife, but it's a soft answer that turns away strife. You know, you can diffuse a verbal bomb if you can speak with soft words. If you can bring the temperature down by kindness in your response. But you know what you you can do if you're not careful? Is that you can pour gasoline on a five alarm, a spiritual fire and cause problems. I I read about something that happened a few years ago. In my interest uh, in Jerusalem and and in Israel, just a couple of years ago, in the uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, at a, a religious service, there was a fight that broke out between a Greek and Armenian uh, Orthodox monks. And as... They talked about in that story the the anger and the temper overflowed until they started breaking uh, and destroying furniture. And they actually went from words to actual blows. And as I read that story, I thought that the fight itself was ironic. Here are religious people in a religious place whose disagreement went from words to blows. And I thought that the cause of the fight was ironic. And the cause of the fight was who could actually attend that service. And I thought that the place of the fight was ironic. In a place where people are supposedly going to praise God, they were throwing punches. You think, man, what an embarrassment that was for those that would be associated with them for this to be a new story. But if we're not careful, our temper can cause such damage to our reputation and our character in our homes, in the church, and in the world. And so Solomon would encourage us to consider how that in our speech, we might speak those soft words instead of stirring up strife. 
But then we notice that he says for us that a hot-tempered man is going to be one who causes strife. And the patience of a person is going to cool contention. In Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 22, the idea is that a hot-tempered person abounds in transgressions. It's so easy for us to let our temper get the best of us that we, in that response, are going to compound our sins. And so Solomon tells us that we need to slow down. I don't know, ESPN has an event for everything out there, right? They, just about every sport. I keep seeing the cornhole championships, and I think that's amazing. Or hot dog eating contests. But have you ever watched the snail races? Did you know that there's a world record snail race time? Archie, a British snail in 1995, ran the 13-inch course in 2 minutes and 20 seconds. Did you know that there are researchers who actually get paid to measure the habits and the speed of snails, that they studied 450 snails and they found that the average snail travels 0.66 inches per minute. If you want to extrapolate that, I've done the math for you. That's 82 feet every 24 hours. So I don't know how you would measure that in miles per hour. Point zero 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 zero. You know, there's, there's such a thing as being too slow. Of being too deliberate. And perhaps the, the place that we would go with that most often is when it comes to our relationship with God, if we are putting off committing to Him and following Him and being obedient to Him, of letting His message sink into our heart and to become His disciple by being obedient to Him, then we would say, don't take too long. Don't be so slow. Oh, but how often do we need to slow down Because we let our tempers get ahead of us. And the next thing you know, we've said something. And we've done damage that we can't get back. Will Carlton said that boys flying kites haul in those white-winged birds. You can't do that when you're flying words. Be careful with fire is important for us to know. But be careful with words is ten times doubly so. Thoughts unexpressed may sometimes fall back dead, but nothing can kill them when once they've been said. I think about what James says again when he says that the tongue is set on fire by hell. You ever seen the devil when some people speak with their words? Oh, we need to be careful that we don't get so out in front with our temper that we sin with our tongues. The tongue, medically speaking, is a two-ounce muscle. I believe it's the muscle that gets the most use in our bodies. It is a muscle that has mucous membrane and and it has nerves and it causes us to taste and to chew and to speak. But figuratively speaking, it can be a moral monster. In Matthew 12, verse 34 through 37, Jesus would speak to us and he would say that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. But an evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart brings out what is evil. And then Jesus says that we need to understand that every careless word that we speak, we will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. You know, when I preach a sermon like this, I don't know what you think is in my my mind. But all I can think is, 
man, I can remember just a few minutes ago, a few hours ago, a few days ago, when I got in trouble in these very ways. Solomon says that's because it's so easy to do it. People all around us every day hear the things that are coming out of our mouths. What James is saying is, you've got to tame your tongue. You've got to. Solomon says that we do that by taming our thoughts and taming our temper. Happened somewhere else, happened a long time ago. I was in the auditorium. I don't know if you know this, but I, several times a week I practice my sermon in the podium. I preach to the pews. Never had a response to this point, but I'm not giving up hope. But this was several years ago. I was preaching, and I began to hear yelling. Obviously, I wasn't preaching loud enough for them to know I was in the building. It was a father and two of his sons. And he was screaming at them. And I'm sure that he would not have wanted those words to have been recorded. You know, it would be... uh, We have chickens, eggs that are, are getting... Eaten, and, and our next step is to put a game cam in the coop so we can figure out if it's a rogue hen that's eating an egg or if it's something else that's coming in there. But what if there was a cam, a tongue cam, for the things that we say in a day? How would we feel if that was projected in Sunday services? You see, it's, it's impossible for us to perfectly do this. But God expects us to try because the tongue is so influential. It can make or break hearts. Proverbs 18 and verse 13 tells us how the tongue is a a tree of life. Proverbs 18 and verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who uh, love it will eat its fruits. We're going to have the consequences of our words. In, in Proverbs chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 9, the Bible says that anger rests in the bosom of fools. And so I'm reminded over and over again, not just by Solomon, by other writers, that I've got to tame my tongue. Solomon says it's a matter of two things. First, it's a matter of your heart. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, Keep over your heart with all diligence, for out of it come the issues of life. There is a protein in the heart called tropamine. And it is said that that many times when those who have run marathons have their hearts examined, they have a high level of this protein in their heart. That there is a danger if there's too much at some point, and if it reaches a certain level, and a lot of times what happens is it's through overtraining. And by uh, uh, too intensively working out. And so Ryan Shea, a man who was training for the Olympics, dropped dead because of an enlarged heart because of the levels of tropamine and his running in the, in, for training. This was a man who didn't use his head and using his heart. Here's the thing. It doesn't surprise us to hear that somebody who uh, is a heavy smoker or, or ex- excessively overweight dies from heart problems, but... We think people who can run ridiculous distances dropping dead because of their hearts. It just doesn't make sense. We expect people in the world to be struggling with spiritual heart problems. Because on the whole, Scripture would tell us that they have self in the center. And so they're living for it. They're following the desires and the feelings and gratifying the desires of the flesh, Galatians 5.17. But it ought never be characteristic of us. 
You see, there's no such thing as overtraining spiritually. You can't meditate on God's Word too much. You can't engage too often in prayer. You can't fight too vigilantly to keep your heart pure. So Solomon points us to the heart. And the other area is our temper. In Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 15, we have that concept as it is repeated for us again. We understand that we want to be one who is mighty. And the way that we're mighty in God's eyes is by controlling our tempers. In the 1100s, there was this group known as the Hermandads. And the Hermandads were started for a very noble purpose. Their role was to save and to protect Travelers in the Spanish mountains. Something happened over time and they lost their sight of their purpose and their mission. And by the time that King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella came to the throne of Spain in the 1400s, they had a unique and as far as I know, um, a sole role in history that no one else has had. They had the ability to go out and execute people before the trial was held. You think, what good is a trial for a defendant who's already dead? Can the tongue be like that sometimes? He who gives an answer before he hears it, it's folly to him. Proverbs 18 and verse 13. And sometimes can we do that? To where without giving thought we, we hurt other people's reputations. We hurt people's, our influence with other people because of our tempers. Our tempers are going to show up in our tongues. You know, in the nature of a sermon like this, it's hard to know how to balance that out. But for everything that we said where failure is possible, did you notice that success is also possible? God writes this to us because He expects that on the whole, maybe not every time, because I see this principle in me, the one who wants to do good, that evil is present in me. Romans 7:21. So great as the Apostle Paul was always struggling with this, so will I. But I don't have to be characterized by those statements that Solomon says in Proverbs 15 of the fool. I can be characterized by the wise, the one who has understanding. If I will seek to actively keep my tongue under control. Sometimes we say things tongue in cheeks when we just need to keep our tongues in our cheeks. But you know, there's ways that we can use our tongue to the glory of God. You're doing it in this worship service today as we worship God together. As you sing praise. As a man stands before us and leads our hearts to the throne of God. As we go out and share the gospel every day. As we speak a word of encouragement to one who needs it. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 echoes the ideas of uh, Proverbs chapter 15. Our, Our speech can be with grace as though seasoned with salt. And we may know how we ought to answer every man. But may I suggest the greatest thing that we can do with our tongues is what Romans chapter 10 and verse 10 says. From a heart that believes that Jesus is the Son of God... From a heart that's willing to turn from sin and toward God as Lord. Romans 6 and verse 17. A mouth can confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That, that with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10 and verse 10. That will lead one to naturally do what Paul says needs to be done to be united with Christ. To reenact his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. It could be that someone is ready before this assembly today or perhaps later before a smaller group to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, that was done this week, this past week, when Joe Meadows, after having studied the gospel, decided to confess his faith in Christ and to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. 
We now have a new brother in Christ. No better way to use the tongue. But I also realize as a child of God, sometimes because my tongue has gotten away from me, and maybe in a public way, I may need to do something about that. John shows us another beautiful thing the tongue will do, that we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us when we do. 1 John 1 and verse 9. Maybe you feel the need to take care of a public sin problem by confessing sin publicly. Or perhaps you need to audibilize your need of help, your need for our prayers. It would be our honor to do that for you today. If you need to come forward and make confession of faith or of sin, we would encourage you to come right now as we stand and sing.